Hello, and welcome to the Fit Cookie Nutrition Podcast. My name is Holly Samuel, and I am a registered dietitian and certified personal trainer. And my goal with this podcast is to empower you with nutrition and exercise knowledge from various health and wellness experts and everyday runners to become the best, strongest, fastest, fit cookie version of yourself that you can be. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to today's episode where we have the pleasure of talking with Dr. Clay Sankey, who is a doctor of chiropractic medicine and also an avid trail runner, uh, former track and cross country runner for Elon University, and also dad and husband and cyclist. Um, Dr. Sankey actually was my chiropractor when my husband and I, Connor, uh, lived in Charlotte for about a year. Um, I pretty much found that healthcare professional immediately when I got there because I knew I would probably be seeing them the most if I wanted to continue to stay active and do all the things that I wanted to do in terms of outdoor exploring while staying pretty healthy and injury-free. And Dr. Sankey is pretty fantastic um, in terms of being a human, but also being a chiropractor in general. Um, I've always had personally really experiences with chiropractors um, over my athletic career. I used to see one regularly when I was in high school and competing horses, um, which was really hard on my body in different ways than running. Um, And then I started to see one in New Hampshire before we moved when I started running marathons. And then Dr. Sankey, when we moved to Charlotte, I was really sad that I couldn't take him back to New Hampshire with me when we moved back. But um, I wouldn't be able to do a lot of the things that I've done without the help of a chiropractor. Um, And why I wanted to bring him on the show, besides him being awesome, is that um, I really wanted people to have a better understanding of what to look for in a healthcare professional that is supposed to help you um, get healthy from a running injury, and also what the role of a chiropractor might be in that search versus a physical therapist or another health professional, which he dives into and explains very well in the episode. So before we dive in, if you are enjoying this podcast, I would really appreciate really, really appreciate a five-star rating and review on whatever podcast hosting site you are using. It helps other people just like you find the show. It helps me continue to help people through this free platform and continue to be able to do this for you guys. So if you could leave me a review, just hit pause real quick. We'll wait here for you. And then leave that review and come on back so you can enjoy your episode and hopefully many more to come. But without further ado... Meet Dr. Clay Sankey. Hello, Dr. Clay Sankey, and welcome to the Fit Cookie Nutrition Podcast. How are you? Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I'm going to let you introduce yourself, but from my perspective, Dr. Clay Sankey is my chiropractor, or at least he was before I moved back to New Hampshire from the Charlotte area in North Carolina, which is really sad. I couldn't take him with me. Um, but now I'll let you introduce yourself. So describe like who you are, what you do and where you're from. Yep. My name is Clay Sankey. I am a chiropractor in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, father of two, um, young kids. I have a dog and we, uh, we enjoy being outdoors as a family and, you know, spending time together, uh, really got to learn how to do that throughout the past year during the pandemic. But uh, yeah, so when I'm not in the office working, um, I'm out with my family. And then primarily in the office, I tend to work 
with an active population. So we see a good amount of runners and high school baseball players and different kinds of athletes. Um, but we still see the quote, kind of weekend warrior, what you'd say, you know, people who would not describe themselves as an athlete. So we see the full gamut. Nice. And your practice, is it technically in Charlotte? It is in Charlotte. Yep. It's in uh, what's considered South Charlotte. Gotcha. I wasn't sure if like it hit Valentine yet, but that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, cool. And where, so you live in Charlotte now, are you from North Carolina? So not originally, we moved here in 2003. So I don't know, I kind of consider myself a local. That's, that's pretty much my whole life. So yeah, we moved here in 2003. I was born just outside of Cleveland. Um, and we moved to North Carolina right before I started high school. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that's, that's a long time for sure. Um, I would probably say the same thing, <laughs> especially so, for Charlotte. It's pretty transient. Yeah. That's a really long time for Charlotte. I mean, I'm kind of a N equals two experiment with my husband and I, we were there for a year. So definitely transient. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, can you like talk a little about, about before we get into your practice, but like just your background with running and fitness, kind of where you started and why and what your what that looks like now? Yeah. So um, I started running pretty young. I was about 10 or 11 when my dad would be, he would take me out for little runs throughout the neighborhood and stuff. And we're both competitive. So we'd always like pick a mailbox and run, you know, race home from that mailbox and stuff. So once he saw that I really enjoyed it and it was something that I wasn't just being forced to do, we had a little routine where he'd take me out to the local high school and we would do 400 meter repeats on their track. And it was fun. It was cool just to kind of try to beat my times from the previous weekend. And then he ended up getting me a little pair of track spikes that I could put on and feel all official. So we would do that. And um, I was going to a pretty small school at the time that didn't have a track team, but right as I hit seventh grade, they started a track team. So uh, fortunately, one of my favorite teachers was the coach. So I joined the track team and we you know, little small team, but we went to our first invitational. I don't even think my parents took me. I think my grandparents dropped me off and um, I ran and I ended up winning the thing. So it was, it was great. And when I called to tell my parents how I'd done, uh, they were just surprised that I had even finished. So I was not like athletic as a kid at all. Um, but I really fell into uh, a niche and having a love for running. So I continued to run throughout middle school into high school, uh, specifically here in Charlotte. We had a great high school team and then into college as well. Um, so really enjoyed um, kind of the high school and college running and kind of team experience. And then after school, I, I still run, um, maybe not to the extent that I did while in school, but um, at least from a training perspective, but I still love to race. I still love to get out there and compete. I almost have no interest in like road racing at all. Um, I do most of my training on the roads for sheer convenience, but I, I primarily like to race on trails and that's anywhere between, you know, half marathon to 50 mile distance. So I prefer, you know, the longer I'm out there, the, the better. So that's kind of where I am with running and then just with fitness in general. Um, I think we'll get into it a little bit later, but, um, you know, only running, having that only that one sport that you do is just, it's not great for the body, especially with a 
an activity that's so repetitive as running. So I do love to strength train. Um, I love to cycle as well. So um, I try to try to do the gamut, you know, I expose my body to different kinds of exercises and activities. Yeah, I'd say you do a pretty good job too. You you seem to do like trail running and then like mountain biking and, you know, some races and strength training. And yeah, so definitely it sounds like a little bit more well-rounded um, these days. And also if this is a relevant question, um, I don't know, like if you see your dad as often anymore, if he's around, but like who would win in a race right now to the mailbox? Oh, good question. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would, but he would put up a good fight. Um, unfor unfortunately, he can't really run much anymore. He had uh, knee replacements um, years ago, uh, so he doesn't run anymore, but he is a badass cyclist. And if it were a race on a bike, uh, I would, uh, uh, no false modesty, he, he would, he'd take me, I think. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That must be an incredible cyclist then. That's, that's an amazing feat. I or I'm that. just a terrible cyclist either way. <laughs> Probably both. I doubt that, but I'll give it to you. Or at least you come from a good genetic background of cyclists. Um, well, and in that case too, we can kind of go into a little bit of your profession and you kind of gave us a little bit of a preview on the fact that you like strength training and being a well-rounded athlete that specializes more in certain things. Um, rather than just running all the miles and doing nothing else. Um, but what made you want to become a chiropractor? And I also am super like just naive. And what does one have to do to become a chiropractor? What kind of schooling do you have to go through? And how does that um, like work? And what does that look like? Yeah, so I, in my freshman year of high school, um, I got my first running injury. And I'm sorry, can you hear me? I think it switched through maybe your computer. It did. Okay. Yep. Just want to make sure I'm still, I'm still attached. Okay. So freshman year of high school, got my first running injury, which is really common. I see a lot of uh, freshman high school runners, um, especially males coming through um, just because they get, they get super into running and they're excited about it. And um, yeah, they, they overcook it a little bit. So I was one of those guys and my coach sent me to a chiropractor for, for treatment for that running injury. I think it was IT band syndrome. So I went to the chiropractor, he got me fixed up. And then throughout high school, that's just kind of what I did. It was just the routine. I um, would see a chiropractor either for uh, injury help or for just maintenance work. And I didn't really, think anything of it. It was just, I didn't think I would become a chiropractor. In fact, when I was sitting in the office of my first <laughs> chiropractor, he had an anatomy poster on the wall with all the muscles labeled. And I asked him, I was like, did you have to memorize all of those? And he was like, uh, yeah, I did. And I was like, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm never going to do that. <laughs> and well, here we are. So, um, yeah. And actually then going through um, high school and early into college, just real interested in the human body and health and performance. And I don't know if I ever told you this, but I actually really wanted to be a, a dietitian. And I had a big interest in, in nutrition and our my major in college required us to spend time shadowing a someone in the field that we were interested in. And I shadowed a lady who worked at a local hospital who worked primarily with patients who had diabetes, type two diabetes, really important work, but man, was it dull. And I think it was, might've just been the way that she approached it. Um, she just had no, no interest in it at all. And I had less. So um, that kind of 
shifted me away from uh, being a dietitian and more towards um, chiropractic. I had a roommate who was going to be a chiropractor. So I um, decided to go to chiropractic school. And to go to chiropractic school, you need a four-year undergrad degree um, with some certain prerequisites. And then um, it's a three and a half year graduate program. Gotcha. Um, yeah, you actually, you have told me that story before because I've, I've shadowed that same dietitian. Like it's, I can picture exactly what you're talking about. And I tell dietetic interns this all the time for that reason. There's just, and it might be the same with chiropractics, but there's so many things you can do like as a dietitian. And I found like most of the people I shadowed in my undergrad and in my internship was like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, so it's definitely interesting to hear that because I have heard that from many people, including those who did then still become dietitians, but also many who were like, oh, that kind of turned me off. Yeah. And it's a good thing that didn't like turn you off. But I think yeah. in the grand scheme of things for me, it, it was the right dietitian for me to shadow because I, I do love what I do. And it turned me towards, towards my path. Not that I wouldn't love being a dietitian as well, but um, I think she was the, the right one for me at that moment to, to shadow. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And I mean, can you talk a little bit about like one of the questions I was going to ask later from one of um, the Instagram questions that I had put in the like question and answer box that someone had for you was like, can you, are there certain specialties like of chiropractic, like there are of like di dietitians and other like healthcare professionals, or is it kind of just one um, like credential and then you can choose what you want to do? There are some official specialties and then some non-official. So um, within chiropractic, you, you go to school to become a chiropractor. There's not different paths really. Um, as a chiropractor or as a chiropractic student, you can take additional coursework uh, towards an interest that you may have. So I have an interest in uh, sports and rehab. So I got a master's degree in sports and rehab. And then all the continuing ed courses, mostly continuing ed courses I take are geared towards that. But there are chiropractors who specialize in um, uh, pediatrics, ones who are more focused in nutrition, ones who are more focused in the care of elderly patients, um, prenatal. So there's different specialties. And then there's kind of diplomates and master's degrees um, that you can follow within that as well. No, oh, cool. That makes sense. Um, yeah, it's kind of similar for dietetics. Like there's a couple official additional cert certifications you can get like diabetes educator um, or sports nutrition specialist. And then there's kind of unofficial things that of course you can go learn about as well. Um, but in terms of like chiropractic, something I, I mean, I've all, I'm super biased. I have always seen chiropractors like probably since I was in high school and when I was riding horses at a young age and my poor back. Um, <laughs> but you know, I've always had really good experiences with most of the chiropractors I've seen, also kind of known what I was looking for. And I understand too, there's a lot of other professionals out there who also handle like sports injuries and, you know, painful muscles and those kinds of things. And also those who do like strength training programs. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there. Like, I think one thing that people don't understand and that I would like clarification on as well is like, what's the difference um, like between a chiropractor and like a physical therapist. Um, and I know like sometimes there's beef between chiropractors and physical therapists too. Um, and I'm obviously not in that world, so I don't know what the beef is, but <laughs> I know that sometimes there's hesitation. I've been in physical therapist office before and said, Hey, like, should I see a chiropractor? And they're like, no, don't bother. 
um, you know, th they're not going to help you or, you know, whatever their comments were and then kind of vice versa too. I obviously haven't heard those things from you, but, <laughs> um, you know, can you kind of dive into that a little bit? I can't believe you bring up physical therapists in a conversation like this. I thought, I thought <laughs> this was a nice conversation. No, um, I think the reason that there may be some uh, friction between the two, I guess you could call it, and um, would be we're so similar. And it, I mean, just like if you have a sibling that's similar to you, you're going to butt heads every once in a while. Um, and chiropractors and physical therapists kind of sit in the same lane of healthcare, uh, that being the treatment of musculoskeletal injuries with a conservative approach, meaning we don't use uh, surgery, we don't prescribe medication. So uh, we are treating musculoskeletal issues um, with that conservative approach. Now, there's a little bit of a difference in terms of training. Typically, chiropractors have more hands-on manual therapy, manipula manipulative training, like adjustments, whereas physical therapists tend to have more exercise-based training. Those lines are continuously getting blurred as the professions grow. Um, there are physical therapists who adjust. There are chiropractors like myself that prescribe exercise. So as the profession professions grow, I think it's for the better that they become more and more like each other. Um, so if you were looking for a chiropractor or a physical therapist, it shouldn't matter which one you find, just which one you jive with better. Now, if you're looking for some post-operative rehab, you're probably more better off going to a physical therapist. If you're looking for um, a lot of hands-on work, if you're looking to be adjusted, a chiropractor is probably the way to go. That being said, there's great chiropractors that do really good post-operative work. There's um, great physical therapists who, who are really good at adjusting too. So I don't really see the beef between the two. I don't feel that way towards any chiropractor, towards any physical therapist, but um, I think it, it's probably out there. Yeah. And I think too, uh, just the general population, I know in my experience with clients, you know, if even despite our best efforts, you know, they, they develop an injury or they develop something that hurts and they're like, what do I do? Um, you know, I'm always a big proponent of, well, you know, if it's like a overuse or if it's an injury, we should probably go see a physical therapist or a chiropractor. I don't really care what the credential is. They just need to be able to help you. Um, so I like how you described it, that like the, the lines are super blurred and they're becoming more and more like each other so that they can do different things. And do you find there's any like specific circumstances where like a runner who maybe has an injury, um, like should go see one versus the other or both? Yeah, you know, if you're a runner and you have an injury and you're looking to see a chiropractor or physical therapist, I would just look who's around you, who's around you and who looks good. If it's a physical therapist, great. If it's a chiropractor, um, great. You know, just try to find who, who's around you that seems to jive with you best. And, um, but again, if you're, maybe you're a runner and you, you just had like some sort of knee surgery and you're looking for post-op rehab, yeah, I'd probably see a physical therapist. Um, but other than that, yeah, just, just find which one jives with you best. Yeah. And one of the other questions actually from Instagram um, from someone was like, what other, I guess, manual therapies would a chiropractor possibly be able to do? I know it depends on the chiropractor besides just like, quote unquote, cracking backs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
the definition of manual therapy is uh, growing as the times go on. So um, typically it's something, anything that involves treatment with the hands. Um, so it's gonna be adjusting, um, although there are kind of instrument assisted adjustment techniques, um, that's gonna be soft tissue work. So um, many people have heard of like active release technique, that's a form of manual therapy. Um, and it can be uh, you know, stretching and that kind of thing. Then there's instrument-based soft tissue techniques or types of manual therapy. Um, scraping is a popular one. Um, one of the kind of trademark names is Graston, um, another term for scraping. Uh, there's cupping, which has become really popular. And then um, I would consider dry needling a type of manual therapy as well. So lots of different tools out there and in the potential toolbox. And I think, you know, the, the practitioner who has more tools at their disposal is, is better off because they can individualize that treatment for the person in front of them. Yeah. And I mean, I was like going through your list that you just said, and I was like, yep, you've done that to me. Yep. You've done that to me. <laughs> yep. We've done that. Like, love that. Um, do you like, are, do you have to get certain certifications to be able to do those things? Or is that included in like the chiropractic school umbrella? Oh man. Unfortunately, a lot of that stuff was not included while I was there. So it required um, extracurricular coursework uh, with some of it. It depends on the state that you're in. So dry needling, we had to get a certain amount of hours before we could uh, stick a needle in somebody in North Carolina, which is probably a good thing. Um, yeah, it really just, it really depends. Some of that stuff cupping. Yeah. Any, any old fool can go on Amazon and buy a cupping set and start sucking people's skin up. But um yeah, it's, uh, it, re it really depends. Gotcha. And from like, um, a runner perspective too, something that I, um, try to be a proponent of for my clients, you know, for me, first of all, if I'm like their personal trainer or their nutrition coach, they don't want to tell me if something hurts. They just are like, no, everything's really good. But I always ask them like, so is anything bothering you? Everything good. Uh, and then if they say, you know, everything's good, then they're lying to me if something's not good and I can call them out on it, but they don't like to come to terms with an injury actually being a potential thing or that, you know, um, uh, aching muscle is going to get worse. Um, they don't want to, because they don't want to be told by someone to stop running. Um, I find is mostly the case with the runners that I talk to. I'm sure the ones you talk to as well. So like they're, they're told, you know, a lot of times I think by doctors, like primary care physician type people, if they go to them first, maybe get an x-ray or something, hey, just stop running um, and, and go home. <laughs> Do you find that you are just telling people to stop running all day when they come in with like running injuries? And I know that's a broad question, but um, I know I want people to feel safe going to see chiropractors or physical therapists when they have a problem so that they can keep running. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, important to understand what running injuries are first. And that seems kind of silly, but um, so running injuries primarily occur in the lower body. So the um, hips, knees, ankles, feet, and they are, you know, with the exception of stepping off a curb and spraining your ankle, uh, they are overuse injuries, meaning they're the result of an error in your training. And most of those injuries happen at tendons. Um, the vast majority. So, or tendons or tendon-like structures in the body. So we're talking plantar fascia, we're talking Achilles tendon, patellar tendon, 
gluteal tendon, high hamstring tendon, and IT band. Those are, those are the big ones. What happens is when you train more than your body can handle, when you put more mileage or start running faster than your body can handle, there's going to be a breakdown somewhere. You're going to start experiencing pain. You're overloading those tissues more than they should be. And it's the job of the physician who's treating the runner to say, okay, this is what's going on in your training. This is what needs to change in order for you to start experiencing healing. So sometimes that involves a short term break. So just letting things rest for a little bit and then gradually building that up. Sometimes we just need to drop the mileage down a little bit or drop the pace down or mess with some technique. So you really need to understand running injuries and running as a sport in order to start making changes to somebody's plan. I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody come into me who said, okay, six months ago, I started having pain in my Achilles. I saw my doctor. They said, take time off. I took four weeks off. I started running again and it hurt. Okay. What happened in that four week period? Yeah, you rested, but did you fix anything? Right? So somebody who, you know, if you're a runner and you're seeing a physician, they really need to work with you on your training. Or if they're not well-versed in your training, they need to talk with your coach uh, about your training. But ideally you're seeing somebody who knows the intricacies of uh, the demand that running puts on the human body and how to best kind of mess with it. Because there's different things you can mess with. You can, like I said, you can mess with the training volume, which is going to be how much you're running, the training intensity, how fast you're running, the terrain on which you're running, the shoes you're running in, your your form. So there's a lot of different stuff. So <laughs> long way to answer, do I tell people to stop running all the time? No, I don't. Uh, but there's certain times when I feel very comfortable telling somebody, look, you, you got to you got to stop right now. Um, we'll build, we'll build you back up, but if you make this sacrifice in the short term, it'll pay off more in the long term. So, uh, if you just try to keep fighting through this, you're going to be dealing with this issue in six months, but if we can just take care of it now, then in six months, you're going to be fine. You're going to be, you know, back to your normal self. So yeah, yes. And no, do I tell people to stop running sometimes, sometimes not. But it doesn't end there, I think is the key takeaway. You don't say Absolutely. stop running, see ya. That was one of my favorite, you know, when I look for a, a clinician, whether it's a PT or a chiropractor, that's one of my favorite things, you know, is, okay, well, what's like the plan after we take a rest? <laughs> um, because I, I think that's what happens to a lot of people. They'll stop and they'll rest and then that's it. And then it's like, if you just like leave your car in your driveway for a while because the check engine light was on and then you leave it there for four weeks and then you turn it on in four weeks, it's probably still going to be on. <laughs> um, That's such a good analogy. Yep. That is exactly right. Yeah. So, I mean, just from that too, actually one of the things, um, there was an Instagram question about shoes. Um, that was just one of the small questions that I had to like something that you had done with me was like a gait assessment. So do chiropractors, is that something they can typically help with like helping you pick the right shoe? Um, you know, yeah, probably, um, as far as shoe selection goes, there was a study that came out and it found that the 
shoe that was best for the individual was the one that was self-selected by the person, was the one that just felt the most comfortable, you're least likely to get injured in the one that you find the most comfortable. So um, there are some instances where we'll kind of mess with the type of shoe that people are in, but um, you know, typically it just comes down to what people are comfortable in. Other things that I'll mess with will be the stack height on a shoe. So if somebody's getting a lot of uh, plantar fascia issues or Achilles tendon issues, and they're running in a low drop shoe, meaning the stack height is low, that difference between the height of the shoe where the toes sit and the height of the shoe where the heel sits, if that is low, basically close to barefoot, then I'll encourage them to be in a higher stack height shoe. Um, so, or if they're getting a lot of, you know, maybe Morton's neuroma kind of stuff going on, compression of the metatarsal heads, I'll say, look, you need to find a wider shoe. Rarely will I start getting into, you need a stability shoe. You need a motion control shoe. Um, there's some debate as to how much that stuff really makes a difference. When you run and your foot hits the ground, you're putting two to three times your body weight of force into the ground. And what's a little piece of foam gonna do about that? <laughs> like, oh, it's a little bit thicker on this part. That's cute, right? That's not gonna do much. So yeah, find the shoe that's most comfortable to you and then little tweaks here and there and stack height and toe box width and stuff like that can be, can be accommodated. Yeah. And I think it's helpful. Like, you know, you're someone who runs and who knows like the shoe market and can, can understand like what shoe is a higher stack height versus a lower stack height and kind of help someone navigate that, which is cool. And if you go to maybe someone who doesn't specialize in sports, you might not get that feedback. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I've been through like all the shoes. <laughs> I'm a shoe guy. I'm a gear nerd. So yeah, I've been through them. And then I think too, like, um, working closely with your local running stores, because that's what supports your local running community, um, having a good relationship with them. Oftentimes I'll just tell people like, um, all right, you need a good running shoe. Just go to your local running store and have them help you out. And like, they're going to get taken care of. I'm not going to try to intervene too much. Nice. I wanted to take a minute to thank our newest sponsor for this podcast episode, Koros Wearables. Koros makes GPS watches that help athletes train to be their best. Koros uses top-of-the-line hardware with innovative technology to provide endurance athletes with the gear they need. So when you use a Koros product, you know you're getting a tool that's been designed, tested, and perfected for the athlete by the athlete. And they're not kidding. Koros watches allow you to create your own personalized workouts and training plans for running, cycling, swimming, and even a strength or core or like in the gym kind of workout. And their track feature is one of my favorite features from the Koros watch. If you need an extra reminder to properly fuel during your workout, hello, fueling on the run, Koros has you covered with their customizable nutrition alerts. How cool is that? You can literally have me poking you during your workout to remember to take your fuel, which is so cool. Koros users have set world records. I mean, have you heard of Elliot Kipchoge? And been to the highest points on earth, pushing their products to the extremes. And they can handle it. At Koros, creation and innovation is never ending. And for Koros, the user is the focus. So if you want to be part of the Koros community, you can follow at Koros, Koros Global, which is C-O-R-O-S-G-L-O-B-A-L, Koros Global on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get back to our guest. 
Nice. And if you had to like, this might be hard, but if you had to say like there was a most common like runner complaint, injury complaint that you see in your practice, like even if you pick like top two, what would those be? I'd say uh, knees would have to be the most common, something around the knee, whether it's patellar tendonitis, which is uh, commonly referred to as runner's knee, you know, IT band syndrome, that tends to be the most common. Um, close second would probably be um, like Achilles tendonitis or gluteal tendinopathy. Gluteal tendinopathy is, uh, that term's not well known, but it's um, basically pain on the kind of outside of the hip, like right where your pocket would be. A lot of people think that's bursitis, but it's, a bursitis is actually quite rare. Um, gluteal tendinopathy is, is more common. So yeah, I'd say, I'd say probably around the knee with, you know, ankle, hip being close seconds. Yeah. And with those types of things, um, you know, I know you said like running is a very repetitive sport. You're hopping on one foot from the other in a forward motion over and over and over again. Um, I know the answer to this question that you are a huge proponent for strength training, like with those types of injuries, what typically do you recommend a runner do if they're not already doing it, I guess, from a, like a fitness perspective or a recovery perspective? Yeah. Um, so strength training is a big one. I'll basically look at kind of three things when I see a runner, I'll look at their flexibility. Uh, in key areas, I'll look at their strength um, and I'll look at their gait on a treadmill. I prioritize strength over flexibility and gait. Um, distance runners just don't need a ton of flexibility, um, which is kind of nice. Um, and then gait is kind of like your fingerprint. It's very unique to you. It can be tough to change and oftentimes the selected gait is the best for the individual. And as you start to mess with that, their running economy goes down. So uh, how much energy they're expending at a given pace um, is going up. So we don't wanna mess with that too much. So strength is a big one. Like I said earlier, when we were talking about how running injuries develop, running injuries develop because the body cannot handle the stress that you're putting on it, right? If you take six months off of running and then you go for a 10 mile run, you're overcooking it. You're putting more stress on the body than it can handle. So if you can do something outside of running that can strengthen the tendons, strengthen the muscles, increase your bone mineral density, then you can better handle the miles you're putting on your body. And that thing is strength training. So strength training is really important for runners and um, should be considered as like an integral part of training plans. Do you Whatever injury, it's, it's strength training. There's going to be some form of strength training put on them. It could be focused to the knee, like, okay, we need to build up the strength of this specific tendon or no, we just need to like, we just need to get you strong. Do you find, um, like, how do people take that? <laughs> do you find there's pushback at all? Or are they pretty willing? Mm -hmm. No, people are usually pretty good about it. I, th I think um, they, especially if you explain it to them, how, you know, the, the injury process, they're like, yeah, I get it. We probably need to be doing that. And for the most part, most runners aren't doing a ton of strength training. They're, they're focused on running, right? I need to get the miles in. So, um, you know, when I introduce strength training into somebody's plan, it, it's, 
typically going to be just a couple little things. You know, it doesn't need to be complicated. My strength training plan is really simple. Uh, it is like as much as I need to do, but no more, <laughs> you know, because um, I'm putting a lot of stress on my body while running. So we need to, you know, we need to manage that appropriately. If you had like to pick three strength exercises that like would be the most bang for your buck, like for most people, just from like a well-roundedness perspective, like what would you recommend? Yeah, I do four. Yeah, you can do four. <laughs> um, so I would pick, um, number one is gonna be a kind of a lateral step down. Okay, so I'll do my best at describing this. If you're standing on a step with, um, one foot on the step and the other foot off the step. Okay. And you're like, if you're facing, like you're about to go up the stairs and you take a 90 degree turn to the side. Okay. So one foot is um, on the step, one foot off, is off the step. All you're going to do is drop that foot that's off the step down, tap the floor and come back up. Okay. So it's kind of like a little single leg squat. Um, while you're doing that, you're going to keep your knee straight. You're not going to let it twist any direction. And then you're ideally going to have weight in that hand of the foot that's uh, touching the floor. So it's that kind of single leg squat uh, step down. That, that would be number one. Number two would be an isometric split squat. So like an isometric, so you're basically in a split squat sp position and you're holding that position at the bottom of the split squat. What that's going to do is that's going to really strengthen up your quads in a way that they are used for running. Okay, so it's very running specific. Um, the third one is going to be a single leg hamstring bridge. So you're going to lay on your back with your foot up on either a stability ball or a um, like a coffee table, and you're going to bridge up using just that one leg. Your hip's gonna be just slightly bent, maybe 20 degrees, and your knee's gonna be bent about 20 degrees, okay? And then the third one is gonna be heel, heel raises, okay? So um, you've got your single leg squat, step down, you have your um, isometric split squat, you have your single leg hamstring bridge and heel raises. That hits pretty much everything. And you can run through a routine doing that in like 15 minutes, you know, either after a run or on an off day. Nice. Yeah. And I know like in the, I guess, social media running world, <laughs> there's a lot of people who are proponents for strength training. There's a lot of, you need to lift really heavy weights. You need to lift really heavy weights. You need to lift really heavy weights. Um, there's a lot of, no, don't lift heavy weights, you know, do more repetitions with less weight. I mean, what do you think about that? I, I have a feeling you're going to say probably somewhere in the middle and it depends on the person, but um, like, what are your thoughts on like loading any of those four exercises? That's a good question. So I think it depends on where you are and within your training. If you're kind of building a base up, uh, doing some heavier lifts is, is totally fine. Um, as you start to fine tune your training, uh, making those lifts closer and closer to what running looks like is going to be important. So that might just be, um, body weight and holding isometrics. Um, you know, the whole idea of, oh, I'm going to put, I'm going to put bulk on um, is kind of silly, right? Um, if you're running, you're really not going to put bulk on, uh, <laughs> you know, so, uh, you might become more, more toned or more defined, but you're not going to put, um, that like significant bulk on. So yeah, it will really depend where it is in your training. Um, do you need to be like going for one rep max on deadlifts? 
that probably doesn't make any sense. Um, so I kind of tailor my strength training to make it look like running as much as possible. So that's going to be typically kind of single leg or staggered stance exercises, just like all the ones I just mentioned. And then they're going to be um, some lower weight, higher rep or isometric holds. And what you said earlier too, was that um, like distance runners don't need a ton of flexibility. And I think that's another like thing that people get confused about in the social media running space where there's a lot of, you need to stretch after you need to do yoga, you need to, you know, be able to touch your toes, all of those like flexibility standard benchmarks. <laughs> um, like what would you suggest someone do instead of focusing so much on flexibility? And do you feel like there is like a minimum that someone should have in terms of flexibility? What do you focus on? I can take you through uh, three tests that you can do on yourself that will uh, cover the uh, three important ones that I would say are um, good for a runner to be looking at. If you're deficient in one of these, you should probably put a little bit of focus on it. Um, so the, the first one is gonna be testing your ankle mobility, specifically ankle dorsiflexion, which is the flexibility of your kind of calf muscles. So if you are, um, if you get into a kneeling position with one leg in front of the other, uh, go up to a wall and put your big toe a fist distance away from the wall. So it should be about, you know, four inches away from the wall and your, um, your front shin should be vertical. Okay. From that position, I want you to lean your knee as close as you can to the wall while keeping your, your heel on the ground. This is your front leg. Um, if your knee can touch the wall pretty easily, then your ankle mobility is probably fine. Okay. If it can't, then you probably need to start working on stretching your calves. So that would be number one, that, that one's kind of important. Um, the second one would be hip flexor mobility. So how you would test this is you'd um, go to your bed, sit on the very edge of your bed, and you're going to grab one leg, pull it up to your chest, and you're going to lay all the way back. That opposite leg that's hanging, that thigh should drop below parallel. So it should drop below. If your torso is parallel, that should drop below parallel. And then your shin should be hanging vertically. So if you lean back, and your legs sticking way up in the air, then your hip flexor is inflexible and you need to, you need to stretch it. And then the, the third one um, would just be for your hamstring. Lay on your back, have somebody uh, grab your leg, keep your knee straight, try to lift your leg as high as you can. Um, if your leg sticking straight up is at 90 degrees, you wanna hit about 80 degrees. So just shy of 90 degrees. And then if you lift that leg up by itself, you should get somewhere close to that. So those are the, those are the big ones. Um, but, you know, other than that, there are really great runners out there who aren't super flexible. And the reason why it's not um, of dire importance is because distance running is a mid range activity, meaning we're not taking our limbs through big ranges of motion at all. Um, in fact, we want our muscles and tendons to be short and springy. So when you hit the ground, you can have a quick and efficient energy return. So you want a nice tight spring. You don't want a wet noodle hitting the ground. So, um, so yeah, you do want some flexibility, um, but you don't need to be a gymnast.
Gotcha. That's really helpful. And I think, um, I think that's helpful just to understand where the person's at. Um, and if they're like, oh, I'm actually doing all right, you know, they can focus more maybe on the stability exercises that help them be springy. Um, and then if they're like, oh, you know, I'm really not all right, I'm not flexible at all, then maybe that is an area that they could spend time on, but otherwise not, not go too crazy with it. And one other thing too is um, uh, symmetry is kind of important for running as well. Uh, since it is such a symmetrical sport, um, your left side's doing the same thing as your right side. So you should have pretty close mobility on each side. If you look at a baseball player, like a pitcher, uh, they're going to have different mobility requirements in their right arm versus their left because they're, or their throwing arm versus their non-throwing arm um, because their sport's not symmetrical, but running is. So if you have one ankle that is significantly stiffer than the other, uh, that could pose an issue. That's really interesting. I, when I was riding horses, um, horses themselves tend to be better going like counterclockwise around the ring than clockwise. So a lot of riders tend to have really like really kind of jacked up left sides, um, and stronger right sides just to keep the horse in self carriage. Do you like, do you find there's any like right sidedness versus left sidedness in runners or do you find it's pretty symmetrical it depends on the person's weakness i don't and people try to kind of make correlations or like ah everything's always on my left side or, or this or that and that could be true um but no I, I don't find that i see more injuries on one side of the body versus the other yeah, yeah some people sure. say yeah like oh it's my my non-dominant side because it's weaker or it's my dominant side because i'm using it more like i guess either could be true i guess you know <laughs> i think it's just chance sometimes yeah but it's not probably like from the actual sport that you're doing because it should be symmetrical and you could say you know people who are running track you know um mm -hmm. but typically if you're on a track you're either just doing a workout or you're racing it's not a significant portion of your mileage and if it is you should probably be switching that direction on the track so we would do long tempo runs on the track in high school and we'd switch uh every every mile or two um switch direction so you're not just you know hammering that like you said those um you know equestrian riders they're not they're not hammering that left side so much yeah, that's how I injured my IT band was going around an indoor track where there were like 18 laps. My one of my first like four milers I did on an indoor track and hurt myself. <laughs> so indoor really tracks are brutal. Oh my gosh. It was like banked too. Um, yeah, it was really rough. I, I have like a little PTSD from that. I won't run on them anymore. Um, so when it comes to um, like just this scenario of, okay, runners starting to experience an injury, um, for this will make it like their hamstring hurts um, or like their IT band hurts. I think that's a good one. That's really common that you said, um, you know, what should, or they actually, they don't even know what hurts. They just know their knee hurts <laughs> because that's more, that's probably more right. Um, what should they do? Like, should they consult Dr. Google and try to fix it themselves and just stop running with no plan? Um, should they panic and go to the ER? Like, what do you think that they should do from that course of action? If you have something that is altering your training in any way, it's making you run slower than you'd like to be running. It's um, causing you to take days off or change the way that you're running. Uh, you should get it checked out and you should get it checked out by someone who knows running. And oftentimes when you go uh, Googling physical therapists or chiropractors in your area, you can see their bio and you can see um, if they're a runner or not. 
Now, there are great physicians who are excellent at treating runners who aren't runners. Um, so that may take some more digging, but yeah, you should try to find somebody who understands runners and it may be something little. You may, you know, great news. You know, you don't, you don't need to worry so much. You just do a little bit of this and, and you'll be fine. Or um, no, this, this is a sign of something that's going on with your training. We need to take a look at it. So um, it's worth it to get it checked out. Uh, it's so much easier from my perspective, from the clinical side to treat something that is fresh as opposed to something that's stale and has been there for so long. If it's fresh, um, you know, we can, we can get it taken care of usually fairly quick, but if it's, if it's been chronic, it can take some time. Yeah, I've been there. Um, so when it comes to, um, you know, that side of things with the treatment plan, you get them on their way, they're probably doing a couple exercises. Um, you know, how often, I guess, do you see your clients? Like, I know I saw you kind of depending on the issue I was having, probably like weekly or monthly or at a different duration. Like, do you tend to see people once and then you're done? Or do you see them pretty often? Usually we have a initial plan of care that'll involve more frequent treatments, uh, depending on what it is. It might be two times a week. It might be one time a week for, you know, usually we schedule them out for four to six weeks. Um, and then after that, uh, we may taper that off a little bit once every two weeks um, or, or less. So yeah, we try to hit it hard initially in the beginning. Um, that'll usually be with some, uh, some manual therapy some exercise prescriptions, some stretch prescription, some alterations in their training plan, and then we'll kind of taper those treatments off. Ideally, so people can have the tools to you know, work on themselves so they can manage these issues in the future, right? As a runner, you have very little gear, right? You're not a NASCAR driver. You're not driving a car. It's your body, right? That's it. The more you know about your equipment as a runner, the more you know about your body, the, you know, the better off you'll be when people have kind of some of these devastating or long-term injuries, I'm like, look, here's the silver lining. You're going to know more about your body as a runner than you will ever have had not, had you not gone through this. So, um, you know, I try to teach somebody, you know, something new every time I see them about their body so they can better take care of it in the future. Yeah, that's good advice. And I like, I know from, um, like my own experience, just seeing you as well, like, you know, it kind of, it depends on the injury, of course, but I've experienced like, if something starts to come up that has maybe happened to me before, I'm like, Oh, like I remember what they told me to do. And then I do it. And then it's usually fine. Or maybe I don't actually have to go see the person because I can manage it at home. And like that database gets bigger, of course, as you get more hurt, but we'll call it more experience um, in, in your running career. And that can be super valuable. And while it might seem like an investment upfront, depending on your insurance coverage, you know, it is really helpful to, to get that information. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, the more, you know, about your body and as a runner, I mean, usually people like to geek out about that kind of thing. They like to know about their body. They like to, you know, read and, uh, know these different exercises and stretches. So yeah, the, the more info you have, the better off you're going to be in, in races and training and everything like that. So be a student of it. Yeah. And one of the questions, um, actually one of my physical therapist, uh, friends said that her client was asking a question. So this is like many connections. 
um, they said like, what if you go to a chiropractor or a physician or a physical therapist, no matter who it is, and they don't really give you any kind of like strength or stretch kind of treatment plan? What if they kind of just adjust you and then say, make a follow-up when you need it. And they're kind of unsure if they should be getting more of like a movement prescription plan. You know, if you're, if you're going to somebody and they make you feel better, you are in less pain, then I, I think that's great. Um, maybe, maybe you don't need it. Um, you know, physical therapists and chiropractors have gone to school for a long time to do what they do. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not a ballerina, but I've treated ballerinas, <laughs> you know, um, and, and I've gotten them better. But yeah, if you're seeing somebody and they're, you just feel like I just need more, um, you don't have to stick with the, the therapist you're with. Uh, I'm, I know there've been instances where there are people that, you know, I just, my experience level is not there where I can't quite help them with what they're dealing with. And you know, we'll refer them to someone, someone else. Um, so yeah, if you're just, you feel like you're not quite getting it, then, then you can always find somebody else. I think it helps, like you said, to do some of the research, like on their background or who they've helped and what their specialty is too, then you might have a better shot at, at it being a right fit. Um, and when it comes to the nutrition component, since you wanted to go to school to be a dietitian and then you pivoted, but then you also said that chiropractors do sometimes specialize in nutrition. Um, I've definitely had you know, again, from my N equals one kind of study here, <laughs> um, a lot of clients say, you know, my chiropractor actually does nutrition counseling and they were promoting, you know, certain like diets or other ways of eating or supplement lines and various things. Like, I don't know, I know you don't have like any kind of nutrition, um, like specialty, but, um, like, I guess my question here is like, how do you feel about that? And like, what kind of schooling do they get? um like if they choose to do that specialty yeah our my school actually had two master's um programs uh along with the the doctorate program that it offered for chiropractic it had a master's in sports and rehab and a master's in nutrition i took the sports and rehab one um i heard great things about the nutrition one so yeah if people have an education in nutrition and they are willing to take the time to listen to their client, their patient, put together their meal plans or, or guidance on that, then I, I think that's, that's great. Um, giving offhanded nutrition advice, just offhandly recommending certain diets or um, supplements, you know, man, I think that's a tough one. Um, I, I don't love that. I, um, I keep my nutrition recommendations very broad. If there's something glaring, um, then I'll say, all right, you know, if they're having, you know, recurring stress fractures and, um, maybe they mentioned that, you know, they haven't had their period in two years and they're, they're a vegan and they're putting, you know, 80 miles on their body a week. You know, I'll probably make like, say, okay, let's, let's figure out some supplementation or is there, are we willing to, you, you know, uh, make any, um, sacrifices on the vegan front or anything like that. And, and if not, or if it, it's still, then they're off to a dietitian, you know, if it's something glaring like that, I'll, I'll um, make those recommendations. It, it'd be, I think, um, it wouldn't be right for me not to, uh, just like if you're working with a client and they bring up some kind of, you know, injury they're having, and it's it, just to you, it's, you're like, dude, just, you know, 
you put 500 miles on your shoes or 700 miles on your shoes. You need new shoes, like that kind of thing. But when you start getting pretty specific on recommending certain diets for people and you, you don't have their full nutrition background, um, I think you need to be careful. And um, I, that's where I've got great um, sources for dietitians uh, in Charlotte, not anymore because you moved now there's plenty in charlotte um but uh yeah that's that's where we make that um make that referral yeah i totally agree i mean obviously you have the wherewithal to say hey that's a problem what do you think about fixing that you know and and then if it kind of gets deeper to refer out and i agree too like from my standpoint if someone keeps getting injured or if it's something that doesn't seem to get better or if like their shoes you know i, I can say certain things but if it's out of my scope like go find someone who can help you with that. Cause it ain't me. <laughs> um, and I will help you find that person, but yeah, thank you for, for talking about that. I, um, I always found too, like what I couldn't wrap my head around and maybe it's just how people have their practices is you like, when I would see you, you would like, you know, do the manipulations of various like techniques. And then we would go over stretching or strength training or whatever I need to do to work on that problem area. Like, I don't know when you would have time <laughs> to go through someone's like nutrition background and then also make those recommendations, because that takes me like an hour, you know, with a person and that's all I'm doing. So I also think too, it's just about specializing and using your time wisely. Totally agree. Yeah. And you don't want to spend time looking at people's ankle mobility and <laughs> testing their strength and stuff like that. So yeah, there's people to help you with all that kind of stuff. And yeah. you're, you're better off getting that, you know, treatment from someone who has the degree than, you know, someone who, read a Facebook post. Yeah. Or Dr. Google, um, Dr. Google. as always. <laughs> well, yeah. And if any of my clients are listening to this, if you could go do those mobility exercise tests that he talked about and then report back, that'd be great. Um, because then it would save us time. <laughs> so, uh, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate your input. Um, and I think people probably understand a little bit better what you do, like what chiropractors do, what physical therapists do. None of them bite um you know <laughs> you should go seek help from them if you need it um did you have anything else to add like for um you know chiropractics or what you do before we tell people where to find you and then also ask you the end of the podcast question no um i mean really you know, just become a student of your body if you're if you're a runner or you know if you're an athlete in general learn as much as you can you know speak to people who know what they're talking about and uh the more knowledge you have the better and uh, learn to really be able to listen to your body um, and try to do, you know, try different stretches, try different exercises. That's, um, that experience is, is valuable. Um, other than that, no, I don't have anything. Uh, if you want to find me, you can find me on Instagram um, at true motion therapy. True does not have an E in it because we're cool. And um, if you want to email me, you can email me clay at true motion um, Or, you know, you can message me on Instagram as, as well. Yeah. And your Instagram is fantastic. That's actually how I found you. And I was watching all of your like tutorial videos and I was like, this is awesome. And then I found you were in Charlotte and that was like even better. And then I made an appointment immediately. Actually, you were the first healthcare professional I found in Charlotte. So my priorities were very straight. Social media. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. So yeah, go give him a follow. Even if you're not in Charlotte, the tutorials will probably be helpful and the advice will be helpful to watch. Um, all right. So 
end of the podcast question. I'm excited to know your answer. So you are about to cross the finish line of the goal bike race between you and your dad going to the mailbox, because I know that is the most prestigious thing that you could ever do. Um, what song is playing because you're winning to embody how you're feeling crossing that finish line in victoriousness? All right. I've got two. You know, we're going to stick with the theme here of me modifying your question. So I've got a, I've got a cool one and a less cool one. Um, less cool one actually happened. So I'll start with that so we can end on a, a good note. So um, I, I was in my perfect race. Like this was, this was the race that, I mean, I really just, it was the best race I've ever had. And um, I had music in my headphones for the last like quarter of it because music truly is like a performance enhancement drug. And if race directors allow you to use it, you should use it. So I had a playlist and the all, I just kept hitting repeat on this one song for like the last like 10 miles of this race. And um, only true music aficionados will know this song. It was um, Timber by Kesha featuring Pitbull. And <laughs> it was just like going through my uh, earphones the whole time. And uh, uh, something about like the, the beat or the pace of that song like really did it for me. So that's my less cool answer, uh, but it actually like happened. So I feel like I just had to like tell the truth with that one. Um, the, the cooler answer is, um, so there's this movie about Steve Prefontaine called Prefontaine and it has the best soundtrack. It's got like sixties and seventies classic rock. And um, the songs in that movie, since I've watched it so many times, just remind me of running. And it has one of my favorite songs in it. It has Baba O'Reilly by The Who. And that would be the song. Like, that's just such a cool song. And it just feels like running to me. So yeah, as I'm just blowing past my dad on the bike to, to beat him to the mailbox, I'd have The Who playing for sure. With Pitbull in the background. Featuring Pitbull, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That is a fantastic answer. And I can't wait to tell Connor this because he loves Timber um, oh, and oh. like on a podcast right now. So he, he still loves me, I promise, but um, he'll appreciate your answer. Very good. I knew I liked him. I know. I know. Um, well, that's a great answer. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, I wish you all the best in Charlotte and in your mailbox race. Uh, you know, for some reason, all of that cut out. I, I didn't hear any of that. But um, yeah, I really appreciate being on the podcast. Um, it was great talking to you. And like I said, if anybody has any questions for me, uh, very accessible, please, you know, reach out or you have any questions about those little assessments or exercises that I mentioned, uh, definitely reach out. Awesome. Well, they'll know where to find you and we will talk soon on probably Instagram. <laughs> Thank you, Holly. See ya. Clay Sankey, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciated it. Uh, Connor and I really appreciate everything that you have done for us to keep us running healthy as well in our time in Charlotte and beyond. If you are looking for assistance with running injury-free from a nutrition standpoint, from a strength training standpoint, and you're wanting to get stronger and faster, you're wanting to understand exactly how to fuel your runs, your long runs, pre-run, post-run, what to bring to races and how to fuel for that, how to implement strength training workouts into your training plan and what to do during those workouts, if you're looking for what you should be eating in terms of micronutrient and macronutrients, if you're looking to make peace with food and understand how to fuel your body instead of restrict it, 
My strong runner group coaching academy is currently open for enrollment and the next group kicks off the first week of August. So if you're needing assistance with all of this and you want guidance, a community of support and bonus content from a physical therapist on preventing injuries, please check out the link in the show notes or head over to fitcookienutrition.com. There are only a few spots left as I limit these groups to 10 spots at a time to keep the environment super supportive and able to give everyone the attention they deserve. But if you want to learn more, head over to fitcookienutrition.com and fill out the application and then you can set up a free discovery call with me to learn more about that. And until next time, guys, happy running. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.